When you think about applying for a practice loan, do you think about speed and simplicity? Likely not. For many veterinarians, applying for business loans can be a long and fatiguing process. Luckily, the sponsor of the podcast, Provide Inc., has changed all that. Provide is a specialty lender to the veterinary industry. They're the only, and I mean only, fully online and digital lender in the veterinary space, which makes life easy. You know I go on and on, and I'm so pro-practice ownership. I cannot be happier to have Provide be a sponsor. Whether you're in Maine or California, Provide can help. They aren't going to require you to open your savings account or jump through some hoops to get some sort of relationship discount on your loan. They're simply just going to say, here's our rate, this is the process, and we're going to do a good job. Provide uses innovative software and technology coupled with excellent service and an industry experience to deliver something that's just more efficient. Even on very complicated transactions, Provide can make a decision on whether they're going to lend in a mere five to seven business days. As we all know, time is money and having those answers quickly matters. Provide offers financing for practice acquisitions, buy-ins or buy-outs, commercial real estate, refinancing, practice remodels, all that stuff. Anything that you have around financing for your veterinary clinic and your business, they can help you with. So when you think about it, you can pre-qualify in minutes with no effect on your credit score. That's a benefit as well. For more information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com, scroll all the way to the bottom. You'll see a hyperlink under the Provide bio. That'll get you directly to where you can pre-qualify. You can do it on your couch. You can do it in 10 minutes or less. And if you do want to reach out directly to them, please let them know that I sent you. They'll take great care of you and they will be alongside you for one of the biggest purchases of your life and do a great job at it. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. I'm joined today by Legend Thurman. Legend, thanks for joining me. No problem. Happy to be here. And Legend is a veterinary medical student currently working towards her DVM at the Royal Veterinary College in London, third year, right? That's correct. And you have a desire and kind of an emphasis on where you want to go in the future, which we'll get into today around governmental work and kind of taking the idea of what the AVMA agenda is to make it more of an impact across the industry. That's absolutely correct. It is very detailed, but a long-term purpose and passion of mine. Yeah. So let's start there. So this podcast had a lot of different people on it. I've had no one talk about that specific topic. What was it or what's happened for you when you look back and reflect in your life that's made you say, that's the area that I think I can make the difference. That's where my passion lies. Honestly, I'm going to start a little bit before that. So when I was applying for veterinary school, you almost have this mindset and also previous exposure of what veterinarians are involved with. And the most common answer you'll get from the public if you go and ask anyone off the street is, where can you find a vet? And the top answers are usually in a clinic, on a farm, or in a zoo. However, we're found everywhere. And I knew vets were involved in a multifaceted way. However, I didn't know exactly how that was until I got to veterinary school. We had some exposure within our classes and with the placements we complete as well. However, I learned about veterinary government work actually through an organization called SAVMA, which stands for the Student American Veterinary Medical Association, through the local chapter there, as well as national SAVMA, which I also got involved with. So that is what actually opened my eyes to what the governmental realm can hold for veterinarians and how you can get involved. And so once you saw how to get involved and what the opportunities are within that, I guess, spell it out as far as even within that, there's a lot of different areas that you can get involved in, I guess, at a high level. What do those areas kind of entail and what would the work look like? 
Oh my gosh, there is a lot actually a governmental vet can do. Here are just some of the roles they can play. They can be involved in legislative advocacy, public policy, anything to do with progressing any sort of governmental agenda forward. Like I've talked to you about before, like my goal is on the ABMA agenda back in America. However, over here in the UK, they also can get involved with parliament, different sectors of it, which include DEFRA, the VMD, lots of other acronyms I could list here, but their jobs basically revolve around food safety, public policy, advocating for the profession, farmers, you name it, the government can be involved. Oh, and since we're in the midst of the pandemic while we're talking here as well, public health diseases too. How do you get experience as a student doing that when I think the opportunities would be a little bit harder than trying to get your hands on the pets or the animals that you're working with? They definitely are. For example, there are 5 million private practices and corporate practices if you're going to get hands-on clinical work, for sure. In terms of governmental work, even though, again, it is vastly spread out into different governmental jobs you can get involved with, still the accessibility to them is the hard part and the communication points to go out and find them and show your interest is definitely difficult. Some of the ones I've gotten involved with, and honestly, it's been a blessing because it's taken 5 million emails networking. Does someone know someone else that I can easily reach out to? One in Washington, D.C. was the Animal Welfare Institute that I spent time at last summer looking at state laws on abuse. And then, for example, this upcoming summer, I do have an internship with the Veterinary Medicines Directorate through Parliament, which looks at all the government legislation surrounding all the drugs that are passed, all the biologics, the development, the licensure, everything around that topic. And then I also am doing the Veterinary Entrepreneurship Academy and hopefully having a placement with a business that promotes legislative proceedings, advocacy, anything along those lines. I haven't been given my company role yet, but that's just on the docket as well. And then the last one I can think of at the moment is the one that I have scheduled for next spring, 2022, because ask any vet student, you have to plan your life two to three years in advance. And it's sometimes a lot of fun. I'm going to spend time at Heathrow Airport with the vets who control all the importation and exportation going within and out of the country. So that is government work because that deals with trade and legislation and everything surrounding those issues. So like I mentioned before, government work can literally be in any facility that you can think of. It just depends on what specifically they are working towards and everything like that. But those are some of my upcoming placements and exposure. And I definitely encourage anyone who maybe is listening that likes government work to Try to look at the AVMA's resources, look at your school's resources, any big company that you can think of that may have government work involved, go see if they do. It may not be publicly advertised, but that doesn't mean they aren't working on it behind the scenes. Yeah. Shout out to Robert Trimble and VEA. I think that is an awesome, awesome program that we've talked about. I'm spaced on which episode number, but you can certainly find it. Super program. And then the other question I think naturally that people would ask is, all right, so you've networked and you reach out to people. Is this just emails? You call on them? Like, what have you found that was successful to get attention or were you creative with it? Like, how'd you go about that and what's worked best? Well, definitely down to the simple notion of emailing for sure. And if anyone doesn't have a LinkedIn account, I strongly suggest they make one because honestly, you can connect with a large variety of people. And like I said before, they may not know someone directly, but they may know someone who can help you. And it's just starting that chain of communication moving forward. 
When I have emailed people, though, I am not afraid to use the plug that I definitely want to go into this work. It's not well known. There aren't a lot of opportunities. I'd love to be able to gain experience and exposure. And I feel like your company or this said externship can benefit me in the long run and expand my knowledge to be able to perform well at this role in the future once I'm qualified. So don't be afraid to, again, show your passion, show why you want to be there, why you want to get exposure. And then honestly, just start the conversation. At the end of the day, the worst they can say is no. Certainly. And we'll come back to some of the SAVMA stuff because I do want to get into that. And you mentioned it coming back to the States in AVMA. So for anyone that doesn't know you, you hear you're like, hey, there's not the London accent. So you were born and raised in kind of Pennsylvania or was it DC or DC home-ish kind of now when you get back to the States? I was raised in Pennsylvania. I was actually born in West Virginia. We won't go there. I was just born there. I was raised in Pennsylvania. And a good portion of my young childhood and then adolescent life was there. Then I went to college in Washington, D.C., but I have people who I do consider family there as well. So hence why anyone who meets me asks me where you're from, I always say half Pennsylvania, half Washington, D.C., Nothing wrong with being born in West Virginia. My mom was born in Wheeling, West Virginia. So there's no shame in West Virginia. I don't know how many listeners are in West Virginia, but I don't want anyone to get take offense. So um, no, no, no. Just the phrase wild and wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I guess led you to choose to take that trip across the pond for veterinary school in your education? Was it something to tie into? the idea of the governmental work, because you just kind of mentioned it was once you got into school, that was really where you saw the desire of, oh, this is an avenue that I can explore. So was there something else initially that led you to the Royal Veterinary College? No, it wasn't the focus on governmental work that led me over there at all, because when I was an undergrad in Washington, D.C., and probably a lot of people are thinking, oh, she was in Washington, D.C., she was exposed to a governmental city, our nation's capital, Maybe she got experience there. The answer is actually no. I worked on getting all the experience you need for vet school just in a clinical and general sense. So shadowing your private practices, large corporate hospitals, things like that to get in. And when I was applying, I was one of those crazy people who was like, okay, let's get as many schools as possible. It's fine. My credit card was suffering, but it's fine. <laughs> and then I came across the Royal Veterinary College application and I'm like, this has the word royal in it. The acceptance rate is low and they're in like the top five schools in the world. This is not going to happen, but let's just put it in the pile. <laughs> but sure enough, that actually was my first acceptance to vet school was RVC. So I don't know if you call that a sign, but definitely gave me the excitement, knew I was meant to be in vet school. And if you would have asked me in undergrad, if I was going to pack my bags and move across an ocean to another country, I wouldn't have even thought twice about it. I've always wanted to travel and see the world, but make that huge life-altering decision to leave everything you are used to, even the culture, the people, the cities, and then go to somewhere completely new and have to get reacclimated and make a new place feel exactly like home for a long period of time, that is difficult. However, now that I'm sitting over here and it's three years later, I wouldn't change anything for the world. But that actually is how I got here. And in the end, in terms of making the decision, because I got other acceptances, RBC just had a lot to offer in terms of the wide spectrum exposure to all different species. So not only small animals and farm animals, also lots of exotics, the ability to, again, look into all these different areas of the profession. So government work, academia, research, you name it. So I definitely like having that eclectic mixture of exposure and experience over here. For sure. 
you talked about cultural differences. It's great they speak English, but it's still <laughs> definitely a different world. What's been the biggest cultural difference or just kind of interacting with people day to day? More so probably pre-COVID. It's great that you were there, obviously, prior to all that and you didn't move just into the pandemic. Yeah. Like you said, they all speak English, which is good. There's still the accent difference. And for anyone who would ever ask me this in the future, I'm never losing my American accent and gaining a British one. It's not going to happen. However, a lot of people I meet are very nice, very helpful. However, everyone I've met over here also has a different way of going about completing a task or deadlines as well. They are very blunt in their opinions, which is fine. Blunt isn't bad, but they're very direct. They don't get too caught up in their emotions, which I had to get used to because I definitely am an emotional person who invests a lot of myself into something I get involved with. And I had to deal with that brute honesty sometimes and think it's not a bad thing. It's just the way they are over here. Also, in terms of say something needs fixed or needs completed, usually in America, like say a pipe starts leaking or you need a repair done to your home, we're able to call someone and they'll usually, if it's an emergency, get out there within 24 hours. Over here, it actually could be a couple days or longer. And I realize, yes, it depends on availability, weekday versus weekend and everything else. But definitely the time span of when something can get done is a lot more drawn out than what we are used to in America. So that definitely is something different. You learn to be a little more self-sufficient over here where if you can fix a problem that maybe you hadn't thought about fixing yourself before while in the States, you definitely learn to do that over here. So I've never been to London for someone that's lived there outside of like the major touristy places, where's a spot that someone should stop and then we'll kind of move on. But I'm just curious about London in general and your thoughts. Here's the thing. This is listed probably in the tourist book, but my favorite public tourist site is definitely Kensington Palace because it has its own park and gardens behind it and everything like that. That is where Queen Victoria, who is one of my favorite British monarchs, was raised and grew up. That is where Princess Diana lived for a while and William and Kate and all of them have all been there too. So that's definitely something probably that's common public knowledge and definitely should be on your list because honestly, it's beautiful architecture. There's a lot of history, a lot of exposure. And honestly, if you just kind of want to go to an area that also doesn't remind you completely of the city because of the nature center it has as well and the whole green area in the back, that's definitely a place to go. My list is infinite though of places I've been and also places I want to go. So we can have a whole podcast on just like <laughs> tourism. I'm like, where do you want to travel and what you want to go do? Yeah. Switching gears a little bit. Something that's mm -hmm. super exciting that you shared with me when we chatted before we pressed record was that you're going to be a published author. So can you tell me a little bit about what this is and the project and kind of unpack that a little bit? Honestly, it was a big surprise in the year of 2021. Again, another thing I did not put on my radar, but definitely was an unplanned surprise. I like to attend a lot of networking events and connect with people of all different sectors, of all different professions, because I honestly believe at the end of the day, we can help one another achieve our goals and our purposes. I connected with a lady out in California who runs the Women Action Takers Networking Group. And her goal is to promote women, no matter who you are, where you come from, your age, and get you to tell your story, push you towards your goals, whether that's in entrepreneurial businessship, veterinary work like me, accounting, you name it, she will push you towards your goals. And she's a wonderful lady. She came up with some brilliant ideas in terms of book topics, but did not want to just write a book herself. She wanted to collaborate with several other individuals, aka all these women she wants to push towards reaching their goals and supporting them. 
So she came up with writing a book where 40 individual women could tell their individual stories, their strengths, their hardships they've gone through, their goals they have, how they've changed, what they've learned. Basically, completely up to you, open book slate, aka sit down and tell us who you are, what you do, where you want to go, anything you want, basically. And I got asked to be in that book. And the title of the book, which at first blew my mind, because I was like, how on earth am I going to contribute to this? It's called Invisible No More, Invincible Forevermore. And just even hearing that title, that is a very powerful notion of a book about 40 different people. Because I'm sitting here as a 24-year-old thinking, I'm only 24. I'm a third-year student in vet school. How on earth do I belong in this book? (laughs) But honestly, after reflecting on it for a while, we all do have a story to tell. Because again, we all come from different places, have had different experiences, all have different paths of life we're walking down right now. And it is, like I said, a big surprise. But honestly, one, I realized that Yes, I do have a story to tell and I do want to share it and no one should be ashamed of sharing their own story because you have no idea how someone could, in my case, pick up this book and learn something from what I have to say or what I have to write. So honestly, it's a big honor and something I am very humbled to do. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Is there any idea of when the culmination of all these different things come together? Because again, when you try to organize just a small group of people, it takes time. I can't imagine trying to organize 40 different people writing and getting that all put together. It is definitely coming out in 2021. I know her goal is to have it out by mid-year. So eh, maybe somewhere between June, July, August. I don't have an exact date, but eyes peeled for some time over the summer into early fall. Got it. Anything with that book that as you reflected and set back that you thought about, like this is the aspect or the story, not to give it away. Again, people obviously (laughs) need to, to go out and read in full depth, but was there anything that stuck out to you as far as the path and the journey that you've traveled that you feel like has helped shape you into who you are today? Yes. Honestly, after she asked me to do this, I probably sat for a good three days with your typical writer's block. And I'm like, what on earth am I going to say in this thing other than who I am, where I'm from, where I'm at now? But I'm like, that's dry and boring. (laughs) I was like, there's more to me in my 24 years of being on this planet to say than just the paper cut version. So a little tasters are, I'm going to go in and how past events don't define you. So my own past events, for example, how we all have a purpose in this life and how nothing that has happened before is going to stop us. I'm also a person who has a lot of quotes I like to live by that have touched me. So I'm probably going to highlight on a few of those, but tell you what, I will be the first one to share this in a public perspective. The aspect of my chapter is going to be focused on the idea. And if I'm allowed to have the title of the chapter, it's going to be called Powerful Beyond Measure. And I took that away from, here's my shameless plug towards one of the quotes I like, Marianne Wilkinson's quote, which starts with, again, we all have this power inside and everything else. Go look it up because it's long enough to read, but it is definitely something that resonates with me, something I like to live by. And for anyone who's maybe does not know authors that well. It's also in the movie Aquila and the Beast. So if you need something as a reference. Got it. I was going to ask what would be some of the quotes or things that you really like. So I appreciate you sharing one. No, no problem. That one. And I mean, again, not being religious here, but the whole definition of love and everything it surrounds and how we interact with people throughout our lives and platonic relationships, romantic relationships, our family, in our businesses, professional life, all that too. Again, there's so many things I could go into with this book that I honestly have 5 million pieces of paper on my desk right now with all these different quotes, ideas I've had that I now have to assemble into the chapter, which I'm in the process of doing, but it's 
going to come together within the next month. So I'm really excited just to even see how I'm going to put it into one holistic piece. Yeah, absolutely. And so as we bounce around, which is just normal in these conversations, because you have, again, going back to being 24 and you're like, my life is not that exciting. It's like, well, you've done quite a bit. You've moved, you've seen all these things. So yeah, I think if I had to look back at 24, my life was certainly not as exciting or interesting as yours. But let's talk a little bit about SAVMA and the role, how you've been involved in and what you've taken away from it and what you feel like you've been able to contribute. Sure. So when you get to any of the veterinary schools that are accredited by the AVMA, you have the option to join SAVMA. And if you get involved on the leadership perspective, there is an option to become what's known as a delegate. And each school has two delegates, a junior and a senior, that go and represent your individual veterinary school at the House of Delegates for National SAPMA. And here's where correlated to that of the U.S. House of Representatives, again, where you have a couple of representatives per state. They go to these meetings, discuss issues and everything like that. So imagine there's every duo pair in this big room with all these little flags of your individual schools. And you go through a meeting of old business, new business based on past meetings and goals for future meetings. Then you're also broken up into different committees. And all these different committees focus on different topics. For example, governmental work, education diversity, international relations, you name it, we talk about it and discuss it basically. And within these committees, they're made up of people from all the different schools. So just because I was a delegate for the Royal Veterinary College, I could easily be working with people from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio, etc. That way, then you're getting a different perspective and outlook on all these issues and also from different geographical locations, both within the states and also nationalities through other countries, which is really nice. Then that can expand to the executive board where depending how long you stay within the house, you can run for different leadership positions to lead the house and be the faces of SAVMA and then also report back to the AVMA depending on what your title is. Now at the local level for each individual school, again, you also have e-boards and different positions for each school as well. So your typical president, secretary, treasurer, et cetera, some varying roles different between each school and everything like that. So in my time, I have now been the junior delegate, senior delegate, chair of the governmental affairs committee for National SAVMA, president-elect for my local chapter and current president of my local chapter. Now, once you're out of the house, again, if you are in one of the roles that involves going to the national meetings. If you are the president-elect or the president of your chapter, you also go to the meetings and you attend the presidential meetings, which same setup, it's the president and president-elect of each school's chapter in this big room discussing different issues and how they can support each individual school and their individual chapters, memberships, etc. But both of these entities do work together. So the presidential side and the House of Delegates side, they do work together to, again, be the voice of the students of the American Veterinary Medical Association. So that way it then can work up the chain towards the AVMA. So the voices of the people who are going to be the next generation of veterinarians, no matter what sector of the workforce you go into, their voices are heard, their concerns are heard. For example, this past year alone, with the pandemic breaking out, a lot of students were concerned based on how their teaching was going to be affected, how graduation was going to be affected, how their preparations to be a day one veterinarian, even if you're going into private practice or a rotational hospital to do an internship for a year and try to get on the path towards residency to take board exams. Like, how is all this going to affect us in the long run, either in a positive or negative manner? So being able to have this 
open room of communication and have ideas passed back and forth, no matter where you are in the world is vitally important. Yeah. That was a great overview. One of the things as you were discussing, I was going to ask like, what are some examples of recent discussions, but yeah, the pandemic seems to be one that makes all the sense in the world as far as how that's going to impact and what it's going to look like. You spoke about in our conversation around being a mentor to future veterinary students. Is that through SAVMA or is that outside of it or talk a little bit about what you've seen? Sure. That actually is on my own time. So over here, when the pandemic hit, honestly, part of me was like, I need something else to do that isn't schoolwork that's on the side, but that way I can still interact with people. So I work with some pre-veterinary students in the United Kingdom to prepare them for their interviews for vet school. Because depending which school you go to, it's a different setup and style of interview, meaning you could get these rotational like challenges and tasks you have to do at certain stations compared to example, like what we're doing right now, sitting down and talking between two or three individuals, telling them about yourself. And a lot of students come in not knowing which direction to go. Like, how can I best describe myself? How do I prove I'm worthy to be in a certain vet school's class or even be in their environment? Or what do I have to offer? Like, I haven't done 5 million things. Or for example, all my experiences got canceled because of COVID. How do I convey that? All those different things. But honestly, it's a joy to see the plethora of students wanting to come into this profession who come from all different backgrounds and cultures, different areas, have different goals on what they want to do. And honestly, these are just their goals now. Again, myself as an example, you come in with an idea, but it can easily change. Like, again, did I think I was going to go into government work or at least want to for the time being? It could change again. But that was a big surprise. And I can't wait to see at least the students I've worked with who have gone and accepted so far what they're going to do within this profession. What do you see? Is it a confidence thing? Like they need reassure around how to best prepare? Is it each individual? I mean, certain individuals are just going to naturally have more confidence than others, but is there anything that you see as trends or things that would be just good for someone that may be listening that would fall into that category? Confidence in yourself, the mindset of you do deserve to be here and have a chance to show them everything your whole potential. You are not an imposter because the whole idea of imposter syndrome is everywhere within our profession from pre-vet days to vet soon days to when you're done even. And also just going in with an open mind because I think a lot of students come in with the idea that I've worked hard my whole life to get to this moment where I'm sitting in front of an interview panel or going around to different stations and solving problems and tasks. Okay, I've done all this work up to this point, but now that I'm here, what do I do? Is it actually this easy just to go in and be myself and show all the hard work I've accomplished up to this point? But then again, the mindset goes in of maybe all my experience and awards and titles and whatever you want to throw in that basket are inferior compared to the person interviewing next to me or these days COVID on the computer, but they don't have actually the skill set or the confidence or just even I don't want to use the word power, but that they're not on the same level as those interviewing with them. And honestly, it is talking to all these students and saying that, no, you each have something different and something special to offer. You just have to show it. Again, if anyone looks up that Marion Wilkinson quote I said before, like all that power is inside of you, honestly, you just have to let it out. And that is the thing with most of the students I work with. Half the time, it's not even didactic reasoning or problem solving skills that we can get through and go over. And a lot of students who worked hard for this many years in their life, they already know how to do that quite easily. It's just going in there with the confidence and the mindset that is the hard part. 
Yeah. I think the whole idea around imposter syndrome, it's not just veterinary medicine, it's everywhere. I think there's like, what, 70% of CEOs have that challenge too. So you see people and you're like, oh, they're doing so great. And they have all this confidence and it can be from one day to the next can be very different on kind of how they're feeling about their own job performance. And yeah, I think the confidence thing is not just a student, but probably across the industry where people are doing some fantastic work, but don't give themselves enough credit for it. Is there a topic or an area for you that's a maybe a soapbox or something that we haven't maybe chatted on yet that you feel like is, is an important area to kind of venture down? Oh my gosh. With the profession, there's lots of open doors that honestly, within the past couple of years that the whole profession has started even discussing or even like dared to talk about. In the past two years, the whole booming topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, the actual importance of mental health, that's always been there. But again, thank you, COVID definitely exacerbated and pushed it into the limelight, I believe. Just all the current struggles current veterinary students and even pre-veterinary students and veterinary professionals can go through. That is a huge topic of conversation right now, at least that I've come across within SAVMA talking to colleagues here in the UK, but also back in America. And it's definitely something that is not going to stop anytime soon either. Those are very much topics that I continue to hear through my involvement with vet partners or other places where that's absolutely the key things that I hear. Honestly, I am going to probably pull the plug of mental health here because for each individual, it is a different idea, a different structure, and a different struggle. Something that I find challenging could be different from what you do as well, and even how we approach it or how we tackle with it. Honestly, for the longest time, it's not only the ideas of comparison that come into play that, well, that person looks like he or she has her whole life together. Therefore, I can't show any kind of weakness. And if I do, then I'm immediately going to be labeled or I somehow am weak or do not fit into this public image perceptive that society has laid out for us that again, like you shouldn't act this way. You shouldn't feel this way. If you start feeling any of these negative connotations in your mind, you should just learn to brush them off, push them away or hide them. But honestly, if we do that, then we keep going down the darker path and the detrimental effects in the long run aren't good. And honestly, I think it's trying to talk to veterinary students as well as, like you said, anyone in the world, honestly, I keep saying veterinary medicine, but it can be anyone in whatever the profession they're in that it is okay not to be okay. It is okay to talk about it. It is okay to reveal all these things about ourselves as well. Our past challenges, our past struggles, our past hardships. Because again, what I'm going to talk about in my book chapter, all those things don't define you. Or honestly, if you were just overwhelmed from this, I am going to go off the vegetable route. But like the amount of hours we spend studying or in practicals or on rotations or anything of that nature, it does take time. It does take energy. And we do have to learn to prioritize certain things in our life. But then who also says it is wrong for us to want to prioritize our personal lives, our self-care, our self-love and everything that truly can make us successful and be happy and content moving forward. And having the permission to do all those things is key, which a lot of people I think forget, and they almost go looking for permission and they don't have to go look for permission. They should automatically know that I don't need someone else's permission to be this way, feel this way, or act this way, that I am allowed to because I am me and no one else defines me except me. Yeah. Thank you for that. Fun little thing before we close or as we close, knowing that your career trajectory is kind of already adjusted since you've entered into vet school, knowing where you want to go today or feeling like you have a strong drive towards working within the governmental path, 
paint me a picture of what the role would be for you and kind of what you'd like to be working on if it was five years from now. Any thoughts? I know that's like a super difficult question, <laughs> but hopefully you can revert back to this episode of five years and laugh and smile at how it's either so much better or, hey, that's pretty spot on. Well, the common question I get all the time is, are you going to stay in the UK or are you going to come back to the States? The answer to that is, I don't know. However, my heart is definitely in Washington, D.C. And again, going back to the idea of that is the nation's capital. Government jobs definitely exist there. So I can definitely see myself in that geographical location, or at least within the DMV area. In terms of actual work, governmental work can be found in all different companies and different aspects of the profession. It's just finding them. Some dream roles I have would be to work for the government relations division in Washington, D.C., or the AVMA themselves. And what that job title is directly, I'm not sure, because again, that could go into advisory work, policy writing, legislative appeal, sitting on one of the committees for the AVMA and talking about innovation and development and how it relates back to government work and all the bills that are going towards Congress that they discuss and why do we need to push them forward. And is it working towards more of local legislation versus state versus federal? I'm not sure. But these are definitely all the things that are involved. And I can easily see myself getting involved in. I just honestly want to do that type of work in general. I know I will be happy in whatever place I end up. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, hopefully uh, you can play this back sometime and hear you talk about that and be like, yep, that's what I'm doing now. Last thing I ask for any guests is if there's a question for me, and it can be anything, anything you want to know, curiosity. It's something that I've swiped from another podcast I really liked, which just stands for Steal with Integrity and Pride. So swipe. I really like the question because I sometimes find it goes in interesting directions. No, it does. And I'm going to give you the same challenging question back. Clearly, you're already somewhat settled in your idea of a career and have all these ideas and goals and you're working with veterinary professionals and everything like that. How do you see yourself developing within five, 10 years from now based on what you've already established? Man, you can't turn my questions back on me. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, I think ultimately one of the reasons why I was excited to work within veterinary medicine is because there was a need, but I was told you couldn't do it. And I think I've already seen that that's not true. There is a demand for good quality advice and guidance and people that are looking for answers. So it would be to me developing the team out. And there's some plans for that even in 2021 to bring some people on that will continue to build it out, but be the go-to for, you know, if a veterinarian says, Hey, I need financial advice, or I'm looking for guidance in this area that they reach out. Isaiah can't do it all. I don't have all the skills and talent. I have some, but continue to grow the team that has more of that. And I would love to be the name that people think of. And I'd love to continue to grow the podcast. This is fun for me. This is like the fun side hustle thing I get to do and chat with interesting people. So I think continuing to have the podcast grow and expand and be able to eventually someday be able to have it where I can do more of these in person at things. I know right now that obviously can't happen, but there's just a different connection when you get to chat with someone for 30, 40 minutes and get to know them. And it's fun to then follow what they're working on in the future. So probably doing a lot of the same stuff personally, hopefully have another kid, stuff like that, but that's it. I'm very blessed and fortunate to get to do what I do. And I've realized that more and more in 2020 and into 2021 that I can kind of work from wherever I have Wi-Fi and that's pretty powerful and not everyone has that luxury. 
No, for sure. If you don't mind, I have one small question that'd be fun to add on the podcast as well. Yeah. What is one fun fact about you? Because I feel like on podcasts, we all talk about like our professional development, our goals, what we're doing, everything else. But what's one fun fact the world can know about Isaiah? Yeah. So I had bifocals at the age of three. My vision is terrible. So I had the real <laughs> thick, like those Coke bottle glasses as a kid that were so heavy that fall down your face. Like that was me as a small child. So even to this day, I still wear contacts, obviously, as you can see, the listeners can't see, but I wear contacts. My vision, even in my left eye, they don't make contacts strong enough to fix it all the way, but I've made do. But I still like to go when I get new glasses like that to me is like a big joy just because when I was a little kid, like getting a new pair of glasses that was better was just such a treat. And it wasn't something that was always able where I really wanted this pair, but it was way more money, right? Than what we were going to spend on glasses. And it was like, nope, you get this one. So yeah, vision has always been one of those things that I'm very blessed and fortunate because I could have been blind in an eye if it wouldn't have got diagnosed as young as I did. So yeah, I guess that's the weird fact I've never shared or told anyone else. So there you go. You need to start a podcast. See, you get all the good information out. I have nothing like that. I guess my fun fact would be that I'm what people call a seasonal coffee drinker. My friends make fun of me for it. I'm going to be labeled as basic here. I know by people listening, (laughs) but for example, like during the fall, I like pumpkin spice lattes. Come winter time, it's peppermint mochas. Round Valentine's Day, it was white chocolate mochas with raspberry in them. So highly seasonal. <laughs> and you don't drink anything over the summer or is it just oh, go no, regular? I, okay. No, I do. Right. Ice caramel macchiatos. <laughs> there you go. Hey, there's nothing wrong. I'm proud of to say, I think pumpkin spice lattes, while there's so much sugar and garbage in them are delicious. There's nothing wrong with that. But I thought you meant maybe that you only drank coffee in certain seasons and you just cut it off. I was going to like, how do you deal with the caffeine <laughs> and the headaches? Like, what do you switch to, right? Because I know people that try to, lower their caffeine intake, really struggle. But yeah, my wife is the one that got me drinking coffee. So that is interesting, but I don't know. I'm pretty consistent. I feel like with what I drink, pretty basic, just I'm still not quite there with the black coffee. I can do it, but I don't enjoy it as much. Mm-hmm. I like Definitely understandable. <laughs> yeah. For those that are listening, heard your story, want to reach out, connect, what are the best ways? Where would you point them to to get in touch? I have a LinkedIn account. It's just Legend Thurman. I also recently got on the platform Clubhouse, which seems to be this up and coming audio area to talk about any sort of topics you want and make connections and network. And then I'm also probably your average human being with a Facebook and Instagram account as well. But those are all the places you can find me. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the Candid Conversation and the work that you're doing is something that's desperately needed. And I'm excited to see where it goes and what 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years looks like. And it'll be fun to follow along. So thank you so much. No problem. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. 
I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.